bounce around with a creative creature by necessity. My childhood, I, um, I moved around a lot. I was born in California and moved to Michigan uh, when I was about one and a half, two years old. Uh, and that first experience was driving all the way across the country. I was told that I didn't sit down the entire time and I rarely slept. Uh, even though I was an infant, I stood up the entire time looking out the windows and I think that I think that, that experience probably had uh, a lot to do with the development of my creative side. You know, that, that For a road trip like that at such a young age, and I was, I was enthralled by it, I think it did something up here. Um, I spent a lot of time, I'm an only child, so I spent a lot of time at home by myself getting on my mom's nerves and uh, drawing I think was a way to kind of keep me preoccupied, uh, keep me quiet. So I got into that, trying to make worlds, and, and that uh, it's always, always been a part of my life, um, constant, constant throughout. Uh, so yeah, started drawing at a really young age, and came here, southeast Michigan area, I think in uh, the late 80s, and uh, went to high school out in the Burbs, and uh, went to CCS for college, and I have been here ever since, nearly 20 years. I think the first thing I can remember being proud of drawing wasn't even necessarily a drawing. And I, I remember I drew a B, a lowercase b, and I remember that the circle was perfect and that sticks out in my mind. And I was a really, really young kid and I thought I was so proud of myself for drawing this perfect circle and I didn't realize the significance of that until much, much later in life. But, but yeah, I vividly remember that. I was in first grade. When I was younger, there were a couple of different options that I thought I would go you know, into as a career. You know, I think when people are kids, you know, the, the sky's the limit and our imaginations and our, our hopes are so active and we don't have any restrictions whatsoever when we're fantasizing about what we could do or be. I thought I'd end up as a doctor, anesthesiologist, and scientist of some sort. I used to take everything in the house apart and put it back together. Um, but, you know, as I got older, it became increasingly obvious that I was going to be an artist. Um, and by the end of high school, my, my GPA was horrible. I'm, I'm a horrible student, scholastically, horrible student. Um, and it was really obvious that if I didn't try art, I wasn't going to be able to do anything else. <laughs> Flipping burgers or something. So uh, it, was, it was a happy coincidence. I, th I think that uh, the, the reason I was a bad student scholastically was probably just the structure of the public schools. You know, they, they don't know how to deal with a specific kind of child and with a specific kind of energy and intelligence. They just they don't deal with it well. I mean, there's a lot of really smart kids in schools around the country and around the world that aren't doing too great. And it's not that they're not smart, it's not that they're not capable, it's just that the environment that they're in, it's, it's not conducive to them at all. You know, they're either too fast or the subject matter's not being presented in a way that is gonna interest them or they're, you know, pathologically revolutionary, so they rebel. I think right now, for Detroit's art scene as a whole, is an extremely vital and important time, and I see so much energy going around and so much positivity, 
and so much inspiration. So many people are so inspired. I think it's it's amazing. I mean, there's a couple of uh, very key figures in the scene that I will not mention by name that are causing a lot of static with some of the people that are trying to come to our city and participate and help us grow. Um, but that's you know that's pretty marginal. I'd, I'd say on the most part, uh, the creative community here is is really starting to see that we are on the cusp of something amazing and a lot of us are starting to move in the same direction. It's, it's kind of cool to see. There's something to be said about a local scene, you know, being dissolved and weakened by the influx of fresh talent from around the world. There's something to be said about that, but I don't think that's what's happening here when we're getting new people coming here. Um, and some of people's concerns in that avenue, I, I believe that it's just growing pains. You know, it's the first time that we've had this kind of attention, that we've had this kind of talent coming from around the world here and being willing to participate on the levels that they are. So I, I think, and we're not used to that, you know, because we, we have been so sheltered and, and marginalized for so long. So I think we, it's just growing pains. I, I think it's awesome that they're coming. I think it's going to be good for all of us. Yeah, you know, people think it's like Beirut here, you know, that we got bombs going off and you know, that we have to dodge bullets, you know, to get our coffee, you know, and the driving on the road. What was that movie with Steve Martin that took place in LA? Oh my gosh. It, it, I can't remember the name of it, but you know, there was this, a whole skit where they were driving up in rush hour, people just shooting out the window and talking on their phone. It's like part of the commute is semi-automatic weapons being fired up. Yeah, you know, so people, people assume that about the city, but you know, Detroit gets a bad rap. Um, I have my suspicions why, which goes into the bias of, of mass and Western media, but uh, any city has violence, any city has crime. The bigger the city, the more violence and more crime. And it's, it's been that, day, that way since day one, and it's going to be that way on day omega, you know? Yeah. With all the levels of ignorance in the world to be pissed off at, that, that kind of stuff doesn't bug me. Um, there's always going to be those assumptions. And the, the people who view street art as purely vandalism and don't know about the potential of it as an art form, that population is just shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. You know, uh, you can go in other places all over the world and street art is embraced. You know, whole cities in second and third world countries, they're, you know, they're, they're like, hey, come on, man. And you see buildings and walls everywhere in Europe. South America, you see it, you know, uh, it seems like there's little pockets of America that still haven't figured it out, but um, no, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. The whole thing with people going over, let's see, this, this is a unique question for you to ask me. There's a lot of people in that situation that's been happening here recently of this person's art being gone over, this group's art being gone over, and the tit-for-tat between those two fronts. Uh, it ties into that question you asked me earlier about new artists coming in and friction between new artists and how they're perceived and you know all that. Um, I think that to destroy somebody's artwork, it's, it's just... It's the basest form of expression of an artist to destroy another artist's work. It's, 
it's asinine. It's like the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing. As creative people, you know, whether we're musicians or artists or sculptors or cooks or poets or songwriters or, or whatever, um, I think our primary purpose is to beautify our environment for each other, you know, for the future. I think that's our primary purpose. Um, I don't think that creative people are here to be tools of destruction and to create strife. I think that we exist to fight that kind of negative energy. So, I mean, it's on both sides of the fence. I know who threw the first stone and I know why, and I'm not going to talk about that ever publicly on record. Um, but it's just wrong. It's just wrong on both sides. I mean, in the graffiti community, it's always been since, you know, you go over somebody's stuff, you're going to have problems. It's gonna, there's going to be a physical result from that action. You know, graffiti writers and street artists as a community are a little bit different because a lot of us, um, I mean, to be honest, for lack of a better term, a lot of us were criminals for a very long time. Some of us were really good at it. And it's, so it's a little bit different. You know, if you're in a gallery show and you paintbrush over somebody's piece, it might not be a fist fight about it. It'll be in the newspaper, it'll be in the local art pages, but there might not be a fist fight or knife fight or gang fight or something you can throw off a building or something like that, you know. Graffiti writers are a little different. Um, so there is that factor when, you know, street artists start going over each other's work. I just, I think that recently it's, it's making us all look bad. The stuff that's been happening in Detroit with like, like Guy's piece getting gone over, a lot of Syntex's work getting gone over, um, a lot of beautiful murals that people from MSK have been putting up getting gone over. It's, it's, it's moronic. It's so stupid. It's so ignorant. Because n nobody on either side of the fence wins from that at all. You know, it's, it's there's, the, the victim is the art. The stuff that exists for everybody, and it's gone now because of petty personal crap. I mean, it's, it's just... The whole thing with the Chimera being in the, in the Super Bowl, um, and, you know, Chrysler, I, I'm pretty sure is using it for their Facebook avatar still. Uh, that was really surreal. That was really surreal. It was probably one of the most vindicating moments in my entire life, for sure. Uh, I, I worked really hard on that wall, and I, I sacrificed. Uh, I sacrificed a lot of things in my life, and some things that I couldn't afford to lose at all. I lost, and I can't get it back. And I. The, the funding for that project, because I did it at a time when we didn't have any public art going on, uh, was not there. So while I was painting that piece, essentially I painted it for free. So, um, but I, I did it with the knowledge that it was going to do something for the city as a whole and for my career. And you know, for a couple of years after I completed it, um, I was just in a, a, a downward spiral, you know, because I'd, I'd given so much and had such high hopes for it. And I didn't see any return, and I, you know, I was losing hope and faith and all that, all that jazz. But uh, you know, when I got that phone call and found out that that was going to happen, and we negotiated our terms, and uh, you know, found out that it was going to be uh, involving Bob Dylan and, and all that, uh, it was it was like the, it was like the payoff. Yeah, it was like the payoff. You know, for me personally, you know, I, I saw some of the effects that it was having on the perception of the city and on the potential of the street art community here. 
um, and that was great. But you know, we're all human beings, so it's still that selfish part of me that was like, "Yo, man, where's 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 my dime? Where's where's my payback?" Like I, I gave up a, a, a couple of pounds of flesh for that. Right. You know, so it was um, it was great. You know, I, I really did anticipate that kind of stuff happening. I didn't know how long it was going to take, but um, that was part of the motivating force behind being able to do that thing. So what helped you hang on as you were, you know, waiting for things to turn the corner for you? My daughter. My daughter, for sure. Um, yeah, that's it, man. My daughter. Yeah. She was she was the only thing that kept me, that kept me from uh, losing it altogether with Lola. That's it. So currently you just did the Hopcat mural, right? Yeah, um, myself, uh, Chase Golomasso, Phil 3000, uh, Brown Bay Detroit, and uh, Mello, uh, all, all curated by uh, the Grand River Creative Corridor, Derek Weaver. How was that experience, working with those other artists? Uh, I've worked with them before. Okay. Um, I'm really close friends with, uh, with Malt and, and Fell. We've been friends for a long time. I've worked with them multiple times. Um, all of us have been to Miami together at one time or another for Basil. Um, so, you know, it's fun. You know, it's, it's getting together with a couple of buddies and uh, doing our thing. It was cold. It was brutally, brutally cold while we were painting that piece. All of us were, were keeping our cans and coolers with like hot water bottles and had hand warmers in our gloves with us and could only paint for about an hour and a half to two hours at a time before we had to go inside and warm up. It was, Horrible, horrible conditions, but the results, I mean, we, we're all really, really proud of. I hide things in my art because I was trained as an illustrator at, at CCS, so a lot of my work tends to be really literal. And uh, I, I like to put things in there that are a little more conceptual, a little more interesting. You know, if I want to have something that might be part of a subversive message, um, and I want to slide it by, that's where I put it. You know, I'll hide it in there for people with eyes to see, you know, for thinkers, people who are actually looking at more than just, oh, there that isn't doing that. There is my tag, my tag is hidden in there. You know, the, uh, my graffiti name is in there. Uh, the word Detroit is in there. The word Detroit, along his back and into his tail, it says Detroit style, but the word style is written so that it also says city, so it's Detroit city style. Uh, I think that's the only stuff I hid in that one that I'm gonna talk about. I suppose my artistic process all depends on the piece itself, because it's, diff it's different for every single one. Uh, but, you know, going from concept to canvas, it's, Sometimes it involves a, a sketch process where I got to come up with a couple of different ideas and finally center on one. Other times it's it's just there. Like I didn't sketch the chimera. There was no development process to that image. It it popped into my head less than five minutes after the meeting where they asked me to do that wall complete. Um, and you know, so once once the image comes in, then you figure out what your technique in, is going to be, and, and the process is different, you know, for, for every medium. You know, some, some pieces, um, it's just really dry sketch paint. 
you know, sometimes you, uh, for really, really large pieces, if you want to save time, you can use a projector, but um, I don't have a consistent creative process. I try very, very hard to be zen with it and let things grow naturally. You know, so once an idea is seeded, I just kind of let my brain play with it until I come up with, uh, you know, like a really good option that presents itself. Because I don't, I don't need to waste time on materials. Sleep deprivation, because when you've been awake for a certain amount of time, your subconscious mind starts to be as active, if not more active, than your conscious. So you can be in a semi-dream state and paint straight from that pure place, and draw straight from that pure place. Uh, music, of course. I guess since we're getting more progressive as a society and wiser, I could say I smoke a lot of pot sometimes. Sometimes. So. <laughs> Uh, I was. I was at one point. Whether or not I'm still functioning as a uh, vandal or a graffiti artist, I don't know. I can neither uh, confirm nor deny that. Um, but when I was younger, yeah, I went out a lot. I went out a lot. Um, Rift is the third name that I've used. The other two I don't mention publicly because I was under some heat. I haven't been caught yet. Not ever in uh, 25 years of practicing. Uh, there's a lot of questions going on with that. How do we get to the high spots? However we can. And yeah, a lot of us are, are, are like ninjas. Uh, those high places are called heaven spots because if you make a mistake, you're going to die. And it's like that. It is like that. If you make a mistake, you're going to die. So, and heaven spots are great because as risky as they are, a lot of times when you're in a heaven spot, nobody knows you're up there. So you have time to actually do something, you know, substantial. Uh, you know, street level stuff is usually pretty quick in and out. But uh, a lot of that contributes to the speed that you see. When you see a lot of these older guys that are in my generation and the, the one that came before me, and even younger kids that can paint so fast, you know, they're doing these murals and they're doing them in four days, five days, and they're a thousand square feet or larger, you know, those, those guys, they used to be street riders. And you can tell because of how fast they are. That's, that insane speed is something that can only be generated on the street. It, when you have the comfort of a studio environment and that's where you came from, uh, people who had been graffiti writers in their past pick it out just like that. Because the speed and precision of the art form that, you know, like for example, how and Nazem when they work together, you can tell by watching how fast they work and their system that they used to be street writers. And that, that only comes from the street. You can't get it anywhere else. You know, the, the, the comfort makes you lazy when, you, when you're coming from studio development as just a spray can artist. Yeah, uh, again, I was, I was young when I came up with, uh, with that one. I've, I've been riding it a long time and I didn't know that there was another one in Cincinnati. I thought I was the only one. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm mixed, I'm biracial. raised by uh, Western white folks. I never knew my black family. That's why I talk funny. <coughs> no offense, guys. Um, but uh, yeah, Rift kind of speaks to that. It speaks to that barrier. 
I think uh, it's probably a tie. There's two that are immediately coming to mind. And in case I miss anybody who's, you know, who's very important in my life, I'm sorry. It's, it's still early, and this is low, this is a heavy question. Um, but probably the two best pieces of advice uh, I ever got, because it, it is a tie. Um, first one was in 12. I was 12. I was in eighth grade. Uh, I was the first serious art teacher that I had ever had, um, Ms. York, at East Hills Middle School. Um, I used to. Used to hang out with her at lunch because I was always drawing. I was the new kid and an outcast already, but she was always cool. So I hung out with her at lunch. We talked about uh, probably some concepts that you know most eighth graders were talking about. And she wrote in my yearbook, and now I can see I can see the sentence in my mind right now: "Be a survivor." You know, and, and I always I always come back to that. You know, the fact that an, an adult respected me enough to say something that serious in an eighth grade yearbook, you know, be a survivor, Kobe, you know, no matter what. And that's always stuck with me. And, uh, you know, my, uh, my dad, stepdad, dad, only dad I've ever had, uh, Jerome told me not to make excuses. I still make too many excuses. Excuses on top of excuses. Um, and that's probably one of my biggest problems. You know, it's making excuses, and I think that people as a whole, humanity, have got way too comfortable making excuses, and it's it's messing us all up as a result. So those are probably the two best. You know, don't make excuses and be a survivor. It plays into a lot of different arenas of life. When we're young, and we're doing it because we enjoy it, and because we have to not because it's a job or because it's school or because somebody's telling us they think that's what we should do. You know, there's that voice inside of us that's saying, you have to do this. Just like you have to breathe and you have to eat, you have to do this and we enjoy it. You know, the times when we would be so busy creating something or doing something creative that we forget to eat, you know, because we're so into that. I'd say just try and keep that alive. Try and keep that alive, try and make it part of your work. You know, when, when you've got crazy deadlines and, you know, a mountain of stuff, figure out a way to make that job fun for you again so that it, the work isn't work per se. Yeah, I think that's, that's the only nugget that comes to immediate mind is to, to remember that, to keep that, I don't know if the word is child, but I mean, that, that's a great word for it. You know, keep that child, that creative child alive in your work and make it part of your work. Remember why you got into it in the first place. And don't lose sight of it because that's when you burn out. You burn out and you can't make it anymore. That sucks. My name is Kobe Solomon. Uh, thank you for joining me, and this was Once Around.